This is Just the Facts with J. Jonah Jameson, where listeners like you discuss the issues affecting our city with Pulitzer Prize winning two-time, two-time Pulitzer Prize winning former publisher of the Daily Bugle. Hey, plug the book. And and as always, if you order Mr. Jameson's book, Spider-Man: Threat or Menace, within 24 hours of our broadcast, you'll get an autographed copy at no extra charge. No personalizations. Don't ask. Not gonna get it. Welcome to Just the Facts with J. Jonah Jameson, alerting you to the threats you don't even know about. Let's dive right into the calls. Speak. Okay, so not for nothing, you gotta give Spider-Man respect for taking down Wilson Fisk, right? I mean, one less mob boss is good for everybody. Is that right? Tell me, are you a police officer? Prosecutor? Maybe an award-winning reporter with decades on the job like me? Uh, no, I'm a plumber. Oh, good. Then fix my toilet and shut up! Welcome to Third Impact Anime. This episode is going to be a little different from the ones we usually do. Uh, It's just me this time, as it's the holidays and everyone is busy, unfortunately. But I wanted to put something out as sort of a retrospective of the year. Now, you might be thinking, oh, you're going to be doing a retrospective on the best anime of 2018. No! That's what everyone else is doing. I'm not like that. I am Mr. Hipster every year. So, today we're going to be looking at the business of anime in 2018. How well did everything do and sort of the big events of the year. And with that said, let's get started. big things that we should start off with is the death of Isho Takahata, who died from lung cancer in April at the age of 82. Now, if you don't know who Takahata is, he's the co-founder of Studio Ghibli. Yes, that's Studio Ghibli, home of Hayao Miyazaki. Now, compared to Hayao Miyazaki, Takahata really didn't get as much praise or, as I think, respect as Miyazaki has gotten by fans here in the U.S. or by critics. Um, I think he did some fantastic work like Grave of the Fireflies, Horus Prince of the Sun, Only Yesterday, and My Neighbors the Yamadas, but except for Grave of the Fireflies, none of his other films seem to garner the sort of critical praise um, that compared to Miyazaki. And I think that's a real shame because it can be argued that without Takahata there would be no Miyazaki because in Miyazaki's early days Takahata was really a mentor to Miyazaki and guiding him through the anime industry and they were very close collaborators even before they created Studio Ghibli working on um, Lupin the Third and working uh, together on different projects at Toei Animation. And I I think, going back through his movies, uh, Takahata's, I think, unlike Miyazaki, who had recurring themes of nature and of flying, Takahata kind of wanted to do topics that he was interested in. Like, uh, My Neighbors the Yamadas is a quirky family comedy, and in comparison... Grave of the Fireflies is a beautiful but tragic aftermath of the Hiroshima bombing. Maybe his recurring theme could be families, because 
My neighbor Yamanas is a family. Grave of the Fireflies is a family. Pompoko has a family group aspect to it. Maybe I'm wrong here. But I think with his passing that uh, NG Kids having the Studio Ghibli collection, people should go back and check out his work. I think just as Miyazaki had a great influence, so did Takahata, and his works are just as brilliant. In more, not sad, but frustrating news was the Legend of the Galactic Heroes box set. Now, if you don't remember what <laughs> Legend of the Galactic Heroes is, it was the space opera that ran all the way through 1983 to 1993, um, that was kind of seen as the last big white whale of great anime that was never licensed here. Sentai Filmworks announced, I think, three years ago that they had acquired the license, maybe back in 2016, uh... 2015 and for a long time it was very quiet well now well this year they finally announced Legend of Galactic Heroes is coming out on Blu-ray unfortunately it was sort of a monkey's paw situation where <laughs> you ha you had this very beautiful box set with the original 112 episode um, OVA plus the prequel OVA, uh, and the mo both movies, um, card art and art book, some really cool packaging, but <laughs> to get everything, you would have to pay $800 up front in a very limited print run of, I think, around 5000 No plans to release a standard Blu-ray or DVD of the series. Now, luckily, it is on streaming. It is on High Dive and now on Verve, which is good. So if you are want to check out Legend of Galactic Heroes, I would highly recommend going on High Dive or Verve and watching it there. But for people who like physical editions, unless you are just a white whale or a person that has no care for uh, spending money, or has that sort of income that can pay for that, it really knocked the, I think, me and other people who didn't have that type of money to um, get a physical edition. And I think it also hurt the show somewhat, because, as you know, anime fans love their physical editions, and because um, of the limited nature of this one, I think it kind of cooled the jets, even with the reboot that was hap that ha that came out this year. So I I think that was just a real disappointment. Um, I think still in the Sentai shop you can pick up the Legend of the Galactic Heroes box set. If I had to put my reasons on why this box set was so limited, was it was probably whoever owns the rights to Legend of the Galactic Heroes in Japan. Were, were very much afraid of piracy and said, nope, you're doing a Japan-like Aniplex release. You're not doing a standard release, unfortunately. Because in Japan, um, importing or getting um, American releases of shows is much cheaper than getting the Japanese releases, so I think they were afraid of that eating into their sales of the Blu-rays releases that came out a few years ago. Maybe if I get a million dollars via the lottery, or if I, if some kind soul wanted to give it to me, and that, and I I would be able to get it. But unfortunately, I think just like me, it's a lot of it's out of a lot of people's price range. Now I know we are not a. Hollywood celebrity podcast, but just like a celebrity breakup in Hollywood, we had a major sad breakup that I think made a lot of anime fans very sad. That's right, I'm talking about the Funimation Crunchyroll breakup. Let's get into it. So, as everyone knows, Funimation and Crunchyroll's partnership dissolved um, this year. Now, um, if you haven't checked it out, go read my article on the breakup on the, our website, 
www.thirdimpactanime.wordpress.com where I kind of do a breakdown of what caused the breakup and uh, what's the future. But here is the too-long-didn't-read version. Beginning in September of 2016, Funimation and Crunchyroll announced their partnership. This was great because Crunchyroll could now put Funimation's large and popular section of titles on their streaming platform, Crunchyroll and Verve, and vice versa, Funimation could now have Crunchyroll titles. Um, this was great because uh, Funimation's streaming offerings, Funimation Now, have been plagued by bugs and I think has a distrust among the anime community for its issues. So, um, this potentially got a wider exposure to their titles, where since I think most anime fans primarily use Crunchyroll as their streaming provider for their for anime, they could also probably they also probably got some technical support through Crunchyroll on their own player. The cost of licenses of new content could be shared between the two companies thus lowering the cost for both Crunchyroll and Funimation because they're both sharing the bill. Plus, it also um, was a good tag team against the major streaming players, Netflix and Amazon, from being able to get um, popular titles and potentially dominate the anime streaming market. Plus, by combining um, two of the biggest licensors in the United States, this created tons and tons of fan goodwill and excitement. <laughs> now, you're probably asking yourself, what caused this breakup? Well, the answer unfortunately goes back to our good old friend, Netflix. Okay, so you have to realize that Netflix has completely changed the media game thanks in part to its decision in 2007 to start streaming uh, its content, TV shows and movies. Because of its convenience and its ability to be pretty much on every platform, whether it be phone, tablet, um, TV, um, it's just the most convenient way to watch entertainment. And... This caused a surge of people to start subscribing to Netflix and um, for people to start dropping traditional cable packages um, where a lot of the traditional media companies from Fox to uh, Comcast to Disney make majority of their money. The other big deal is Netflix is spending up to $8 billion dollars Billions with a big B uh, in original content in order to keep myself and probably a lot of other people subscribed to Netflix. Now, this content has produced stuff like Stranger Things and uh, House of Cards. And on the anime space, this has produced stuff like um, Devilman Crybaby or... Anime adjacent shows like the Castlevania TV show, which was uh, which we also did an episode on. Compete with Netflix. This has caused a lot of media companies to merge and join forces in order to compete. This would include AT and T and Time Warner. Time Warner owns HBO. They own TNT, TBS. They own uh, DC Comics. Uh, Fox Disney, which is probably the one that almost everyone knows about. Crunchyroll and Funimation were just chest pieces on a board that were going to be picked up eventually. On October 27, 2017, a majority stake ownership of Funimation was sold to Sony's home video division. And on August 7th, Crunchyroll's parent company, uh, parent company Otter Media slash Ellison, was bought by Time Warner which, as I said before, was merging with AT&T. Now, AT&T had just announced their own streaming company, Warner Media, 
that's going to create their own streaming platform. And of course, Disney is doing multiple streaming services with Disney Plus, ESPN Plus, and uh, whatever they're going to do with Hulu, which they now have a majority stake in. Now, the two rival media companies are not going to want to work together because why would you want to help the competition? And this makes sense because one, even if you're both sharing into profits, there's the rivals still making the bottom line. So it was just a matter of time before this um, partnership was bound to break up. What happened because of the breakup of this partnership? High Dive, since I Filmworks' streaming service, was brought in as a replacement on Verve. So now people could watch shows like Kids on the Slope, uh, Legend of the Galactic Heroes, The Big O, Akami Got Kill on Verve now. It's also a sign of the times that we're going to be in more of a walled garden <laughs> in the vein of kind of an apple in that if you're wanting to get content you're going to have to sign up or subscribe to different companies walled media gardens of content um this also was sort of a sign that crunchyroll and funimation weren't going to go away and that they weren't going to lose their domination of the u.s to netflix or amazon since now they have the big deep pockets of AT&T and of Sony. But there's also a bad side to this. I didn't realize this when I originally wrote my editorial on this breakup, but um, this, was, this is pretty bad for f fans outside of the U.S. Because Funimation is predominantly a north american company they don't really do distributing of their titles in australia or in europe whereas crunchyroll is more widely available across the world so a lot of the titles that may have not have been licensed in europe or australia uh, were now available via crunchyroll which was great for fans outside of the u.s but now with this breakup um titles that funimation would have would own would no longer be available to Australia or um, the European market unless it was picked up by another company like Mad Men or Anime Limited or Manga in, in Europe. Other notable streaming stories of the year was back to Crunchyroll. Crunchyroll got over 2 million subs total starting this year, which is pretty big. So, coming back from its humbling days where Crunchyroll was just a piracy site. But while this is really good news, in comparison, there's there's still over 40 million users that are using the site but are not subscribing to it. Um, and predominantly watching their anime through ads or, as I suspect, using ad blocker <laughs> to watch their stuff, sadly. I think I'll be interested to see what happens with Crunchyroll um, due to the fact that since there's so many streaming services out there, companies are starting to take a look and see what's making them pro a profit and what's a value. I don't think Crunchyroll is going any, any, anywhere anytime soon, but companies usually don't have the patience for slow growth. And Crunchyroll's been around for more than 10 years, and they just finally got to 2 million. So hopefully their new overlords of AT&T will be patient and allow them to keep their growth going. But we'll see. AT&T might um, say we're no longer doing an ad-based option, free option for our users, but this is just me speculating, so we'll see what happens. I, and the other side of the Crunchyroll coin is Verve, which while they lost Funimation, they've also been adding more things like are owned by AT&T, like Boomerang, which added a lot of the older Cartoon Network content, and they also added High Dive, as I said before. 
And I think um, the way it'll go is more nerdy, geeky stuff will keep being added to Verve. As we've been seeing with the additions of Nick Splat, with old Nickelodeon content. And I think it'll be part of just more niche streaming services as as we continue to see streaming services and subscriptions be the more dominant norm. But not all streaming services had a happy growth. Amazon streaming service Anime Strike uh, shut its doors down. Notable titles of the time that were under Anime Strike were Made in the Abyss, Land of the Lustrous, Robotech, if you want to count that. A lot of Sentai shows from what I saw. I think the reason why it failed was just it was too much of an upfront cost of having to pay for Prime, which is $100 a month, or no, $100 a year, excuse me, and then you have to pay an extra $60 for the year. And I think anime fans, the general wisdom is they're on the young side, and most anime fans don't have the money to pay for more than maybe one streaming service. And I think also just the narrow selection that Prime had with the upfront cost caused its demise. And the other thing I think other larger media companies need to figure out is for anime fans, what works for them is having a much more personal connection. I think that's why Funimation has succeeded for as long as it has. It's because it's built a relationship up with its fans. It's very responsive to questions or to criticism. Um, whereas bigger corporations such as Netflix or Amazon or <laughs> Warner Brothers, when they tried to do that JoJo release way back in the day, are very cold and very... Um, create a barrier which I think turns anime fans off and I think that was partially the reason with the big upfront costs that caused Strike to shut its doors. Now let's get to the other big streaming animal in the room (laughs) that's not just salty anime. Let's talk about Netflix. Netflix had a big year in terms of anime their biggest title being Devilman Crybaby, that I think was the talk of the town for at least in the early part of the year, just because of its visual style. It basically, I would argue, it rejuvenized the Devilman franchise in the U.S. to fans. I think that's why you're starting to see more Devilman stuff come out, whether it be Gonagai's original manga or Discotech has been releasing... The older um, Devilman shows, such as the 80s OAV or the 70s TV show. Um, they had other notable things like Agretzko, which I, amongst my circle of friends was pretty popular. And they're doing a, a lot more releases. Like Even by the time this gets out, a lot of their stuff, surprisingly, is not coming out until around Christmas, which is a bit surprising. They're doing just a big dump of all their titles like High Score Girl which was a, maybe like a season ago but they picked up the rights too. From what I saw they had about 20 to 30 titles in total that was either they were the they paid to be the distributor where it'd be on their platform or they would they pay for the funding of a show like Devil May Cry Baby. Now while Netflix Oh yeah, and the other big, I forgot, I sh- how did I forget about this? The other big news that just recently happened was Evangelion, the original Evangelion plus the original Ava movies, End of Ava and Death and Rebirth, are coming to Netflix in 2019. This is huge news as ever since the closure slash um, decease of ADV Films, um, the Evangelion TV show has not been streaming and has not been available in print on DVD uh, for a very long time. So this is the first time that I think a lot of newer fans will be able to see Ava in its entirety. 
Now, the big debate that's going on revolving around Ava is, are they going to bring the original dub back? From all that it looks to be, no, because back in the day in the 90s, companies did not make agreements where they would hold the rights to the original dub. So I think the whoever, <laughs> the ghost of ADV slash Section 23 still has the rights to the dub. And I don't picture Gynex or Netflix wanting to have to deal with that when they could just pay for a brand new dub that in their minds would sound much better. Now, I I think what's going to happen is while we'll get a new dub for Netflix, we will probably, whenever it gets released physically, um, we'll get the original dub. Now, for those who think you're not going to get a physical release of this, I think the streaming deal is a sign of hope because while Netflix does not care about physical releases of their content, they usually allow other companies to do that, such as I remember back in the day Studio Canal put out put out House of Cards and I know that the Nef- the Marvel TV shows from Netflix are being released on um, DVD and Blu-ray, such as Daredevil. Um, but Netflix is not dealing with the physical releases. So I think a physical release will come. I'm thinking most likely Funimation, since they've been working with Studio Car to do the Rebuild movies, and they now have the deep pockets of Sony that they could definitely pay the high asking price for the original Evangelion on a Blu-ray DVD combo set. And I think to also appease fans, they would get the original dub, most uh, most likely. Um, or they will at least try to. While I'm sad that an original, the original dub for Ava won't be included, I think... Um, to probably maybe newer fans, it would be a little jarring, maybe. I think it would be seen as a throwback. And I have I have nostalgia for the original dub, and I like the original dub. Um, but I think um, Netflix feels that they would get a more dub that sounds more modern, and also is just probably cheaper in their eyes, and less of a legal hassle to to just do a new dub entirely. Maybe they will get the original voice actors to be a part of the new dub, but we shall see. The other big news within Netflix that they immediately announced like a day after the Ava announcement was they were doing a live action Cowboy Bebop TV show. There was no news of who's gonna be in it or who's producing it or who's directing it. I have a feeling when, whenever these live-action anime adaptations get announced, I won't believe it until I see it. And uh, with live-action anime's track record of being less than good, such as like the Death Note live-action TV show uh, movie from Netflix, I think about two years ago or a year ago, I would be a bit hesitant. And plus, these rumors of a live-action Cowboy Bebop show has been around forever. Like, back in the day, Keanu Reeves uh, was supposed to play Spike Spiegel, (laughs) Uh, which is a bit funny to think of. Stuff like Akira, with originally Zac Efron from High School Musical, was supposed to be coming, but that ended up in being in development hell. So... As with most of these live-action ti- live announcements, I'll believe it when I see it. Now, in total, going back to anime, Netflix has licensed or has exclusively on their servers around 20 to 30 shows, which is pretty good. Um, that's about a season's worth of shows. It could be higher, but this is the amount that I found researching this. Though, I think there's one problem with Netflix and it, when it comes to their anime shows. Because anime is so focused on each season, and there's four se- there's 
winter, spring, summer, fall. Similar to comic books, anime fans get caught in the seasonal rat race, and once the season is over, we move on to the next show. Whereas Netflix, they take their time, and they do an immediate dump of every episode on a single day, which I think hurts that their shows, because for the most part, people have moved on to what's going on in the season, and if they even care about the show, there's not much of a community talking of it, because all the episodes are dumped on the same day. Similar to kind of how the comics fandom works in America, where there might be a big event, but we move on to the next thing because there's another issue on the way. And I think just the rare exceptions have been shows like Devilman Crybaby or maybe a year ago Little Witch Academia, which had sort of the name power uh, to draw people in with Studia Trigger, who has a big fan base. So I, th- I think Netflix, if they want to maintain fans, if they're going to continue to go in the anime continue with anime I think doing a weekly release would be their best bet and they're not strangers to doing weekly releases a lot of their talk show stuff that they have attempted to do and failed at did a weekly release like Joe McHale's soup knockoff and uh, Chelsea Handler's one was weekly so I think they could do it but I I don't picture them in the immediate future doing weekly releases of their anime titles. But I think that would help um, keep the community talking about it and keep their titles from being lost in the shuffle in comparison to the seasonal right race. Speaking of seasonal titles, throw out a guess to how many shows were produced within the year of 2018. I'll give you a little bit of time to think about it. Okay, now I'm going to break down the number of shows per season. See if the number is the similar number within your head. Now, my sources came from my anime list, so take that with a grain of salt. And I also did not include continuing shows from season to season, or stuff that never ends like One Piece or Boruto. So, for example, in... The fall season, we had 56 shows. Summer, we had 53. Spring was a massive season with 73 shows. And winter was 51. In total, we had 223 shows for the year. Uh, this Reading that number out loud just makes my head spin. <laughs> this high number just comes from the sheer amount of productions and the production bubble that is happening within Japan right now. And, I, and I'm and i also including web original um, animes and OVAs that were coming out around the same time. Well, I, that's amazing and great for the consumer that we have over 223 shows. <laughs> I think that number is just sheer overwhelming and... Because while we like choice, if we're given too much choice, we just panic and just go with something that we default to that we know, like a big franchise, like uh, SAO or My Hero Academia. I think this causes um, good shows to get lost in the shuffle, like Takagi-san or, for me, Megalobox, which... I don't, I don't know how widespread or how popular it was, but it seemed like no one was really talking about it. Which Now, you're probably wondering why these this large amount of content is being produced. One, because there's a production bubble. And sadly, this production bubble has led to horrible working conditions for a lot of animators. Um to where they're paying paid less than minimum wage per drawing um, where it's just you're trying to meet your deadline and I think a sad side effect of that is 
it's causing people to be less hesitant to join the anime industry because of just the sheer amount of grunt work and crappy pay that you're getting that you're that you're being um, offered. And on the consumer side, I think this is bad because while I love the amount of shows that are being produced, just no one can watch that many amount of shows. Even if you said you did, you're lying, you dropped most of them, or you burned out. I think these these amount of shows cause anime burnout and makes people less willing to take chances on shows that are outside of the franchise or shows that don't fit within a certain genre sadly and i th- and i think also it's hard on companies like crunchyroll and funimation and high dive um for curation's sake just for the sure amount of content that's coming out where sure you can do stuff by genre you can do stuff by year but it's really hard to do super narrow searching by director, by studio, by voice actress, voice actor. It just also causes a creation problem that needs to be addressed. And I, if it can't be addressed on the consumer side, I think this bubble needs to burst. Well, I think... While I'll be sad that we'll be losing this amount of shows, I would rather see people make a good, decent wage and more shows not lose animation quality than <laughs> than the show coming out at all. Or just the show being delayed. Now that we got streaming out of the way, why don't we decide to go to the movies? Now, you're probably thinking, anime at the movies? A movie theater? That's very unlikely. But this year, I think, has been a banner year for anime at movie theaters, surprisingly. I think that all goes down to G-Kids, really, um, who has really done a great job promoting their Fathom events and getting people to come out. Um, Stuff from... Uh, Night is Short, Walk on Girl, to Fireworks, to Perfect Blue, to to Mary, which is out now, as of this recording. And funny, while they haven't been as voracious with their releases in theaters, they've still done stuff like the My Hero Academia movie, um, Dragon Ball Z Super, with the Brawley movie, and they did a season premiere of Attack on Titan Season 3 in theaters. To go back to G-Kids, I think G-Kids, because they are more of a auteur niche um, company, they're able, they've been able to really hone in on releasing films in theaters because that's their main focus, unlike Funimation, who is also doing um, streaming, home video release, <laughs> And just the sheer amount of titles that they're putting out. In comparison with G-Kids, theirs is more smallly curated. And they're able to be able to focus more on their titles. Um, And I I think what G-Kids is doing is great because going to a theater is a different experience than seeing a movie or a TV show in your living room or your bedroom on your TV Um, and it's made me appreciate films like it got me to be able to see Perfect Blue for the very first time which I was very excited about because that has been out of print for a very long time and also just more original works like um, Night is Short Walk on Girl which I know is getting um, very good press and critical praise and I know um, Austin, one of the co-hosts of um, Third Impact, saw it, and he loved it. Uh, I think that's one thing that I appreciate about anime movies in general is just, um, while there are franchise movies, yes, like My Hero Academia or One Piece, it's more of a medium where 
you can take a chance and do more original stuff, whereas that's less likely in TV. And to see people go out to see original works um, is a great thing. Now, switching over, the other big, the other big news that happened was crowdfunding was still in play this year. Now, it wasn't as big as it was in past years um, <laughs> in comparison, but there were still some notable um, crowdfunding um, events on Kickstarter that were happening. Nozomi Entertainment, a.k.a. Right Stuff, did another Kickstarter for uh, Emma, A Victorian Romance, and um, Robert Woodhead, the founder and owner of Animego did a crowdfunding campaign to release Gunsmith Cats. First in the United States and not in Japan, which is very rare. Usually it's the other way around, which is pretty cool. I would expect Right Stuff um, to continue to do crowdfunding. This uh, Emma Victorian Romance was their second uh, Kickstarter. And I think um, with how successful they've been, after they get their releases out of Emma and Aria, uh, their first Kickstarter, they will go back to it when they feel that they have a show within their catalog that might be, uh, has a fandom that that is rabid, or for a niche genre show that would be unlikely to get picked up licensing-wise. Um, Maybe they'll do more sports stuff in the future. I would love to see a proper release of Big Windup Season 2. And finally, as I said, as I mentioned up top, um, there's live-action movies coming out based off anime. Uh, there's the Cowboy Bebop movie, which I talked about earlier. And of course, there's Battle Angel Alita, which is coming out in February of 2019. Um, Battle Angel Alita is directed by Robert Rodriguez, who you may know from S Sin City, uh, Grindhouse, you might know uh, <laughs> from Spy Kids, from Dust Till Dawn, or the El Rey Network. Uh, and it's being produced by James Cameron of Avatar and of Titanic. I have never read the Battle Angel Alita manga, I've heard it is very good, and it's a post-apocalyptic um, setting. The trailer is out, and it looks interesting. They have a they have some big names in it, like Christoph Waltz, who is most notable for being in Tarantino movies like Inglorious Bastards. Unfortunately, though, I don't think it's going to do well. One, Battle Angel Alita has been pushed back multiple times. I think this is the second delay. And two, usually when a when a company is releasing a movie in dead of winter, February, March, January, that usually means either they're trying to go for an Oscar or they don't think the film will do well. Um, because for some reason, the winter months, people do not want to go out to the movie theater. Um, and so I don't think this will do well. Um... I'm hesitant to say if it's going to be good or be faithful to the source material because one, I still have not read it, and two, based off my prior experiences with stuff like the Scarlett Johansson Ghost in the Show, which had its moments but for the most part was disappointing, I don't think it'll do well, but we shall see. <laughs> the trailer looks interesting uh, visually. They're, they. I wonder how people are going to be used to the big anime eyes that they have sort of CGI'd onto the actor who's playing Alita. Uh, I don't know how effective or how jarring that'll be for some people, but we shall see. The other, I think the other big news, and this just happened like a day ago, I forgot to mention up top, was... Funimation is doing a basically a first look deal with Hulu where a lot of <laughs> there where Hulu can pick and choose from Funimation's catalog of what will get on their streaming service. 
um, which I find kind of funny. You would think that Funimation would want to maintain all their stuff on Funimation now, so that way people would have to subscribe to that. But I think uh, Funimation or Sony are afraid that um, people aren't going to go to Funimation now due to... One, it still has never really built a big enough audience compared to Crunchyroll. Uh, I think that's due to just how poorly it is tech-wise uh, tech and that from my personal use, I've had to log in, log out. Um, there's been video issues, audio issues with Funimation now, and it's made me just really distrust it. Um, so I think... They, they were probably saying we can at least get some money from putting our stuff on Hulu, which I would say is like the third placement of streaming services, but uh, what can you do? <laughs> In 2019, I see the seasonal... I'm going to make some predictions. I think either in 2019 or 2020, we're going to see the anime production bubble burst. I, it, I think it has to burst at some point. One, just because the sheer amount of content that's coming out is probably burning out a lot of people who work out in the industry, so that might cause a shortage. Maybe there will be people who will push for more of a unionization of anime production, which would halt or slow down the amount of shows that are coming out. It's just, this bubble eventually has to burst, because it's, it's not sustainable. I, I just, I don't see it continuing in the near future. Um, I think also we're going to get more walled gardens where Funimation will continue to try and push Funimation now and they will also make deals with um, other companies like Hulu to maintain their service. Um, Crunchyroll will continue growing. I think they're going to try and keep uh, continue to get their numbers up and I think also to get more titles, they'll probably get on more co-productions, um, so that way there some titles will just stay on Crunchyroll, like as we saw with Laidback Camp, which they were part of the production committee. Um, I don't see that being a commonplace for every show, but I think Funimation and Crunchyroll will be more uh, co-productions, maybe at least two or three a year so that way certain titles will stay on their platform for the remainder of time i think also netflix will maintain a serious presence within the anime streaming market i don't think they'll be the dominant player like a lot of people predicted um in the past but i think they will have their place where they will continue to license shows that are airing each season. Um, I hope that they will switch to a weekly release schedule. I think that would work better, so that way more anime fans would remember their shows and keep them within the conversation. Um, and I think with the big push with Evangelion getting released and with this Cowboy Bebop movie that's supposedly coming, um, I think that was a sign that to show that they're not going anywhere. I think also um, Kickstarters and movie releases are are kind of the norm now. I think there was a fever dream of Kickstarter releases a couple of years ago. Like if you remember at the same time there was a Takano video and Skip Beat and Funimation was doing their uh, not... <laughs> well, I want to say... Um, not shady, but it was just a weird their Kickstarter for Escaflone all at the same time. I think it will always be a option for players like Animego and write stuff that are smaller and that have a more independent uh, mom and pop setup. And I think um, that gives more fans are willing to be more forgiving. I don't see any other anime companies getting into the Kickstarter business, maybe Discotech, <laughs> um, just because they do a lot of older titles and some titles they may view as too niche even for them, um, but you never know. I mean, they just released Area 88, which is 
very obscure OVA that is pretty synonymous with older fans. So, we'll see. And uh, in general, I think the anime is not going anywhere. I don't see a big bubble bursting like we had in 2008, 2007. I, th I think companies are stable now and with the big financial backing of companies like AT&T and of um, Sony uh, players will still play a role I think I think that's the one where we have to be cautious of is while these companies have deep pockets that they're willing to spend their patience level for growth and for making profit is not is not so much so I'll be curious to see how Crunchyroll does in the next year, and if AT&T has the patience to keep it going. Because um, I think in the future, when it comes to streaming as a whole, more niche streaming services are going to close down because they're not making the money that big companies want. This is an anime-related, but companies like Filmstruck, that was the niche classic film streaming service, got shut down recently, and I, th I think... Companies will start taking stock of what's giving us a profit and what is of value to us. I think a lot of these niche streaming services will um, be closing its doors, sadly. So uh, enjoy them while you can. <laughs> uh, but that being said, I think Crunchyroll, with its continual growth, and Funimation, who is strictly not only in the streaming business, will continue in the year 2019. Well, I think that covers everything. I hope you liked my talk radio type podcast here. Um, hopefully it wasn't like sports talk radio or political talk radio where you wanted the guy to just shut <laughs> shut up and you enjoyed our little brief jaunt at the business of anime of 2018. I think business will be just as big and there will be big announcements in 2019 and I am excited to see what comes next.